Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about some things in the church that need to change. Now, some of them will be Church of Christ specific. That is the group of Christians that we all fellowship with. But some of them will be relatable to any group of Christians that you've ever heard of. I don't know, maybe even relatable for our Jewish uh, friends as well. Who knows? Um, Before we begin, uh, we want to remember the scripture, do everything without arguing or complaining. So, no complaining this whole podcast, right, guys? I know. We'll see how it it goes. We'll see how it goes. Okay. All right. So, uh, we are going to talk about what are those things that we think need to change. Some of them might be a bit more silly than others, but uh, we'll start off with where we started last week's, or where we, uh, what we talked about last week, which was confession. So, guys, is there anything that needs to change about confession, the way we do that? Well, just going off of what we said last week, uh, the whole altar call process seems to be a bit ineffective, but uh, there are some good things that come from it. But, the uh, uh, you know, it's a lot of the things that are associated with the altar call that need to be reconsidered. Yeah, I would say the same thing. We um, went into more detail on this last week, but the altar call and what is assumed that will happen during the altar call, um, maybe not terribly efficient. Um, I, I did work at a church one summer where I remember where they specifically said that we, we don't really even do altar call. So that is, there's some church of Christ who have already maybe tried to move past that, um, that they, they're saying to this, this sermon is just ending with a prayer at the congregation or this sermon, maybe this sermon is calling for baptism or this one is calling for confession or whatever else. So they're, they're open to all sorts of things. So I would actually go in the other direction on ending the altar call. I wouldn't end the altar call. It's just that I wouldn't end with the altar call. I'd put the altar call at the very beginning. Um, I would start off the message with, if there's anyone that needs prayers, come forward now. Feel, basically, feel free to stop the service whenever you want to. Because if, if someone wants to get baptized, that takes precedent over almost anything else, maybe not communion. Um, but feel free to stop us. That's my thought. All right. So let's uh, take it one step or let's think outside of the box, if you will. Hmm. Why don't we just have recurring altar calls or calls uh, to uh, a response just throughout the entire worship? Uh, I mean, you could say something. If uh, if the song moves you, come forward and share that with us. It doesn't have to be necessarily a confession or anything. I think that's more associated with charismatic churches, but might be something that could uh, be adopted if you want uh, more involvement and openness and sincerity from your church. I think I may be a bit of a contrarian for the extent of this podcast, but I will say if someone wants to hear the sermon, they probably don't want to be soaking wet the whole time. So (laughs) they may may still wait till. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, What else about the worship service do we y'all not like or what do you think should change well all right so for me the thing that i think uh is a problem at every church not just churches of christ is our pews that face the front because at that point we we give a lot of other uh, like the liberal congregations or even uh, non-denominational churches for being up 
performance. Well, just think about how the churches are set up from the beginning. It, there's a focal point to whoever's up front leading, where I, I've enjoyed uh, when you're basically sitting in a room uh, and everybody's facing each other, you're worshiping, feeding off of each other, and that way it's edifying. If that's the word that you like to use, it's a Church of Christ tradition. I'm just here in there as a, a bonus. Um, and uh, But you don't want to necessarily have the focus on an individual where it becomes a performance. Uh, you want to make sure that you have the focus on God. So I think facing each other makes a, uh, <laughs> it, facing each other makes it where you have more of a relationship with the person uh, more than just passing the tray uh, to them and you know you, you can get in and out of worship uh, and not know the person's name next to you if you're if you're good and crafty like that yeah um, I think there are probably there are definitely some logistical issues that people might bring up for why we don't do that but I, I, I like the sentiment of that idea Stephen of um, it build it's more communal um, to do a, a more of a circle um, pattern. We've all probably been a part of worship services or devotionals that did that. Yeah. So the circle pattern will also support another change that I would like to see happen. I think that, um, you know, there's been controversies over who can pass communion. I don't think anybody should pass communion. I think if we should sit close enough to each other to where the person up front, you know, there might be someone that says a prayer over it, obviously, as Jesus did. But that person can pass it off to one person, and it can just make its way. If that person wants to start off three trays, great. Uh, but the glorification of the communion passer, come on, that's not a thing. Like, that's not something that we should have to assign every week. I realize it might be expedient, but it's not biblical. Some would say that's a gateway service for female involvement. Uh, which, you know, we, we talked about that in our previous podcast, so you can form your own opinions there. Uh, now, let me make one comment on the, uh, the, the circle, what did you call it, the uh, circle setup? Uh, now, is, do you think that we don't do that because it's a fire hazard, that you couldn't exit the building quick enough? I mean, I think you have this to have exit for every edge of the circle, which is yeah. infinite. Every 90 degrees. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, because I think we're on to something. I mean, we could probably open up a church tomorrow with our new circle method. and Church in the round. Church of the round? is what church, church in, so like when you have a theater production where the play happens in the middle, it's, it's theater in the round. So it's, this would be church in the round. Genius. Okay, is that like midnight in the whatever they call it for the... Uh, the Kansas basketball team. I don't know at the fog. Yeah, that, isn't that what they do at Kansas University for their basketball? I've never time? been friends with anyone from Kansas. Look it up, <laughs> L- listeners. Look that up and get back to us. What what is it? Uh, midnight at the fog or something like that. Uh, but yeah, we're going rapid fire through these. We're trying to get as get through as many as possible. So I'm going to keep us moving. Next we have Michael you have some thoughts about the youth group and what exactly are they doing during worship? So I, and this is a bit broader for me, but I I've got an issue with anyone that is continually uh, doing one thing. Uh, For example, the forever teacher in a class, like this is his class. He's been teaching it for 50 years. Take a break. 
learn something. Like just, just take a break, okay? Even if you're the best teacher, you need to take a break. Um, so this is something that I've seen in several different congregations where people will be permanently uh, teaching children's worship, which means that they're missing half of the worship service. Uh, they are, they've not heard a sermon in years. And say what you want to about sermons. I don't think that that's healthy to always be missing from uh, one of the central parts of what it means to be um, together as Christians. You know, I hope that they're not missing communion, that is, which is right before the children leave, you know, that they're missing communion every week to um, prepare for children's worship. I, I, I honestly don't know if they're doing that. Uh, but I, I think that uh, especially our youth group needs to be in worship services. Um, and if you're going to be gone for children's worship, don't do it every week. Come on. Brett, and you reminded us for what we, the three of us, referred to at our church growing up as the hall class or the hallway class, or the people that, and maybe that's what you were hinting at, people that basically will stand in the lobby area doing whatever it is. Uh, I know like my church has security folks and they actually have a job, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about uh, people that are just back there to hang out uh, where you can get a little chit chat in uh, where you're not actually engaging in any sort of worship. You're just kind of checking out for whatever reason it might be. You're waiting for a call. Who knows? Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll affirm everything that was said, especially Michael. I'm a big fan of not having the teachers for life. Uh, I think that that is detrimental for the teacher, but even more so for the class. Uh, especially if it's not the greatest teacher ever and you get a mediocre even, uh, dare we say How do we tell him he has to stop? Yeah, bad teacher who's there forever. Um, but then also with this other thing of people missing for maybe children's worship, um, we're, I think both of y'all talked about how people in the youth group, um, students, teenagers are doing that for y'all's congregations. Um, and so I think that is a symptom of maybe even a, a bigger issue worth discussing, which is the need for integration um, for the youth group. That um, this is common across many de denominations, but particularly in the Church of Christ, that youth group and the model for how um, youth groups are done is very siloed. And maybe they, they might have mentors, which is a, a great step and um, worth uh, advocating for. Um, there might occasionally be some sort of class once a quarter or something where they, okay, now we're with the, the, uh, the 60 year olds or something like that. Um, but having the youth group always set apart um, for sitting where they sit in worship, where they go to class. Um, the fact that I don't really know most of the people, and that's probably my fault. Most of the kids in the youth group, um, I think those are issues that our churches need to be dealing with. Let me offer one quick thought before we move on uh, to something else. Uh, Stephen, I think the way to get rid of the, the hall class, or it's not really a hall class, it's like the hall worship assembly, is uh, don't serve them communion. Just, you know, if you're the guy that has the tray and they come up to try to get one, like, whoa, 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 this is insider's communion. That's how you do it. Interesting uh, take on that. All right, so the next one we got are congregations with one preacher. 
Uh, Michael, do you want to elaborate on why you think that's a problem? So um, I don't fault any preacher for wanting to you know, present the message uh, like, like a Bible class teacher. I think they not only deserve a break, a sabbatical maybe, um, but one thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a name drop here. He's actually not that well-loved in Churches of Christ anymore, but Ken Starr, when he was at Pepperdine, I was there, and the best thing I ever heard him say was that if you want a growing organization, you need to send your people out and you need to have other people come in. Um, I think that applies with churches as well. You, you should actively encourage your preacher to guest preach in other congregations, maybe other cities. So they say, you know, the next time, you know, uh, my preacher in Nashville goes to Little Rock, goes to Austin. He says, if you're ever in Nashville, if you ever move over here, Come visit us. So they have some point of connection whenever they're traveling or if they move. Also, that is an opportunity for uh, an outside preacher to come in, someone that the church is not familiar with. This is not time for the associate minister or the youth minister to fill in, although maybe they should too. But offer an opportunity for the congregation to hear outsiders. Yeah, they should be approved by the elders. I'm cool with that. Um, I would say at a minimum, if you're the preacher is not out of the pulpit at least four weeks a year. It probably should be closer to 13, uh, a full quarter. Now it's not all at once, but maybe spread out. Um, I think that that's healthy for congregations. So I was going to throw a wrench in your spokes. Daniel, you got to talk faster if you want to be a part of this podcast. Uh, I was going to throw a wrench in your spokes, Michael, that uh, a congregation that has an attendance, an average attendance of 20, can't do that. But um, I think that what they could do is the entire congregation goes and worships at another church, gets to know them, builds relations, and then in return, that congregation will want to come and visit them. You've you've formed a friendship, and I think that they would be able to thrive off of each other. Daniel, now you can talk. (laughs) Thanks. So, Michael, I I sympathize for the most part with those ideas. I do think think that there may be some logistical issues, again, and probably even with what Stephen was suggesting, mainly because the churches, um, most churches are in or below uh, that 150 mark. Um, And also churches, the smaller you get, probably the more likely that they're not wanting to associate with uh, other smaller churches and count them out don't need them okay well i'm just for saying the, for the purpose of this yeah we should fellowship them now for the preacher thing i i really like the idea of bringing other people in giving preacher rest um but it's also worth considering uh whenever i've gone to like a big church where the preacher is famous and that preacher is not there I get really mad um, anytime. Also, whenever I go uh, home to Southside, I'm expecting to hear Steve Clower, the preacher I'm familiar with, and he's not there. I get kind of mad. Though preacher worship. I preacher worship. He needs to take a break. Or um, the guy that's obsessed with Tim Keller. Preach some. Yeah, it's not. Uh, anyways, so that there. A few issues there to keep in mind, uh, Michael. I know that you talked about maybe bringing other people up to to do the preaching, people from the congregation, um, and that which you didn't bring up. I do want to say that that's good, 
But at the same time, um, I think you're not giving you, if you had said that you wouldn't be giving enough credit to, uh, the training that preachers have and that skill set that they're bringing. So uh, just to, I'll touch on that real quick. I do think that we should give, especially young people or just, you know, uh, other, other people who we'd like to see do it more that we would like to train, give them a Sunday night, give them a Wednesday night. That's more of a preaching setting, not just a Bible class, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's a very, it's very serious, uh, to take the Sunday morning. So maybe do preacher swaps, that sort of thing. Anyway, we can talk about moving it along. And I think I'll just add one thing and then I'll move along. So since I'm kind of leading our discussion here, but uh, I think before we even consider uh, letting the young people, I don't know what you exactly meant by young people, but how about the fathers of the young people so that they can provide that example. And where I think that you'd have exponential growth at that. So, Still on the topic of preachers, what about paying preachers? I think we may have a few preachers that I know occasionally listen to our podcast, so we may be stepping on some toes here, but how could we possibly change this up? So I'm okay with paying preachers because it's biblical. I'm also okay with paying elders because it's biblical. That said, um, I think that some of my favorite preachers, Two, two of the three congregations that I have been a member of as, as a married adult, uh, the preacher, at least for some time, had a second or really a first job that was their primary income and preaching was the second thing. And they were still really good preachers. Um, that said, Daniel made a good point that there's a lot of training involved, um, especially as you're getting to larger churches. That, but I, I think more congregations should be aware um, that perhaps their resources are better spent paying a little bit to the preacher and putting a lot more of that money into other other places. That's my thought. Um, one of y'all has told me about Cloverdale and Searcy and its model, which I, I think they've moved maybe a little bit away from, but it's still kind of there that uh, they see themselves as a mission-focused church and a large percentage of their budget goes to missions more than with the the typical church. Stephen, yeah, I know you attended there while you were at Harding. Um, And I I think maybe more churches should try to think of themselves in that way. To not think of themselves, okay, I'm a, I'm a, there's a default model where a certain percentage goes to the preacher and then whatever's left goes to this or that. Uh, but thinking, okay, my congregation, this congregation is going to focus on this thing and the budget should reflect that. And I think if we do that, it'll be more like what you said, Michael, which is it won't always be um, focused on, okay, we need a really good preacher. Maybe we have a fine preacher, but we're really good at local um, service or maybe foreign uh, overseas mission work, stuff, stuff like that. So last thing that we're going to talk about regarding preachers are preachers that we would refer to as one Testament preachers. What do you guys think? Yeah. If you're spending all, go ahead, Daniel. This is for Michael Landon. um, uh, Our grandfather who this is one of his pet peeves in the churches of Christ. And he is very much against preachers who they stay in one Testament. They, maybe it's the Old Testament, maybe it's the New Testament, but all of their sermons are coming from there. And he wants to see a little bit of variety from the pulpit. Oh, I, I was going to say, you know, if you're spending all of your time in First Maccabees, that's no good either. So 
<laughs> well, uh, the um, I just lost what I was going to say. Uh, I stole that joke. From oh you. well, yeah. So in the '90s, it was a little bit different because every preacher and their dog or whoever's dog was doing sermons out of books. They would take a book and they and they would just do a series of sermons based on a book, not the Bible. Have Sorry. I mind you? Sorry, are we talking about like the '90s, like you know? 20 years after the fall of Jerusalem, 1890s? Uh, I'm, I can't speak to the uh, 090s, but the uh, 1990s, I can oh. uh, I can let you know that that was a common theme. I don't know if they, did they have the Gutenberg Press at that time in the 90s? The no. 1490s, I think they had it by then. Yeah. All right, well, next up, we're going to talk about a few practices that go on in uh, Churches of Christ and sometimes outside of Churches of Christ, too. But um, there's a little thing that maybe you learned when you were uh, in grade school called the five steps of salvation. It's uh, something that we sometimes you hang on to it, and you that is the way for you to be saved. But there's five steps. Normally, they're here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Uh, live a Christian life if you want to throw that one in there as well uh, but is that how, how necessary is that uh, so, well I think five is necessary but I think more necessary I, I think we should double it let's double down on the five finger exercise make it the ten finger exercise uh, the ten steps of salvation. Two. yeah okay so the ten steps of salvation step one you're predestined to be saved you know, God, God, God wants to save all people. You got to put that one first. Uh, second, it's sad, but part of the steps is you have to sin. You have to become unsaved in order to be saved again. Okay, so predestined sin. And uh, step three, we start with the ones that we're more familiar with. You hear the message, but step four, we're leaving it out. You comprehend the message. Like you can't just go straight from hearing to believing. You gotta comprehend the message. All right, so here, so predestined, sin, hear, comprehend, believe, repent, confess, and then you gotta divide up your other, your, you know, be baptized. Some people put that one fifth. So justification, that's baptism, sanctification, that's living a Christian life, and then glorification. Those are your 10 steps of salvation. What All right. Can you catch well, on? Let's publish it and send it, make it a little pamphlet that uh, churches can put in their foyers. Sound good? That's All right. It can be right up there with biblical references. So let's say somebody learns their 10 steps of salvation and they're really moved. They they either do an altar call or one of the variations that we They saw the 10, the 10 finger flannel chart. Yeah. Exactly. Like the felt board, whatever. I don't know what teachers are Muscle, using. Muscle, a shovel, and 10 fingers. <laughs> <laughs> nice okay so you feel moved you want to be baptized that's the, the step that you're at however your birthday is not for another six months do you wait or do you do it sunday what do you do what do you do uh guys I, i'm i think i'm the most conservative on this one so let me go last so I think that you have to make sure your family's available to come and witness your baptism. That's Church of Christ tradition. You have them come, they'll travel in, you'll do a big uh, day. If it's, if you're able to wind it up with your birthday, you can have two birthday cakes, blow out 
I don't know how many candles is significant. Steven, 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 Steven. Come on, come on. What? You know that that's not right. Todd. Ugh. Okay. So you got to do it as soon as possible. Like that's the deal. And 40 years ago, 30 years ago, it might have been acceptable to, to wait just a little bit. Wait for grandma to come and watch. But here's the deal. We've got phones that have cameras on them. You can do a video of the baptism. You could do the baptism in slow motion and get all sorts of special effects. So basically, you can do a Zoom call for your baptism. That's a decent yeah, option. The Zoom call for the baptism. Moving on. Uh, so short-term missions. So the youth group wants to go and uh, build a church out of cinder blocks in Panama. So they each raise $8,000 of their parents' money and take a flight down there, stay in a hotel, and then driving a bus to the rundown jungle area and build a church in the jungle. Then uh, after about three hours of work, they will go hit up the market, buy some things, have some tacos, then go back to their hotel, repeat for the next six days, then fly home. What do you guys think about that? I think uh, anyone who's interested in this topic needs to check out the book, When Helping Hurts. It's a really good book about um, how we do local missions and uh, short-term mission trips. Um, there are some trips that might sound somewhat familiar to the, the scenario you just described, Stephen, that are effective. But by and large, um, those sorts of mission trips are known now, at least, to not be very effective, um, to be a poor use of resources and money, and maybe even you can make the case that they are counterproductive for the spiritual lives of the, um, the often the youth groups or other church members that are involved, because um, it teaches them to treat ministry like a, uh, some sort of holiday, a vacation of sorts. And that's certainly something we want to avoid. Right. So, yeah, you mentioned a few things that are economical. Michael, did those check out? Yeah. So, uh, maybe plane tickets don't cost $8,000. Stephen, I need to talk with your travel agent. It's, it's the whole trip. We're talking about food, lodging, the bus, and personal expenses, you know, because the kids get to go and shop, right? Yeah, it's a mission. You have your congregation call me. I'll get them a deal. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so let's say whatever the number is, um, what? so that's the cost compared to the benefits. But the alternative is that you could, you know, take half of the money that you would have raised send a check to that congregation and they could do amazing amounts of, um, of ministry for local people, you know, uh, food ministries, uh, you know, medical missions has more of a place in the short term ministry world because you're providing something that the people might not be able to provide for themselves. Um, so you have to consider what are the skills that I have and is it worth my time to go somewhere where I don't know the language um, if it's a youth group go, going, um, yes, they're going to, you know, Daniel, you mentioned this, maybe it makes them a little better off. Maybe it lights, you know, it gets them on fire for ministry, but aren't there, well, easier is not the right word, uh, more local ways to do that, more practical ways where they could actually see how in their everyday life they could do it, not, you know, and one other thing that um, you know, we're recording this on June 10th, 
Uh, we are uh, still in the midst of protest over the death of George Floyd. And uh, one word, a uh, phrase that we hear thrown around a lot is the white savior complex, uh, that uh, they need my sympathy, that I have to say something to solve the problem. I think that goes for missions too, uh, that we, um, we get the idea that these foreign countries need me to be their savior. And for the record, I'm a big fan of missions to other countries, big, bigger fan of long-term missions, but for short-term or for those who are just training, what about local missions? How about putting some effort into my own community uh, where I have an opportunity or at least a chance to build up relationships? Yeah, and I think you had said before we started recording that we're, there's a fear that we're converting them to Americanism where they think that the end goal is prosperity. You, uh, God will bless you here on earth if you do these things. In just 10 more seconds, uh, there's also the possibility that we're stealing their jobs. If I go down there and build a house or build a church building, I'm taking the work of poor laborers in those places, just like Tom's Shoes. Right. Well, the funds, like you said before, that's the main contributing thing that is the necessity. The work is probably available to them. So anyway, um, now I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this next topic, but uh, there has been a longstanding tradition that worship takes place um, on Sunday mornings. And so let's talk about meeting times and uh, what time of day we want to meet, the order that we should plan the different parts of a, uh, what services the church offers. And um, yeah, let's uh, just address the elephant in the room. The NFL plays games on Sunday afternoons. Why are we, how does that come into play? Okay, so here's my pitch. Um, this, uh, some of the benefits of my way of thinking about uh, what we should be doing for worship is that even though many Christians have an issue of idolatry for football and professional sports, and they maybe want to see um, an NFL game on Sunday afternoon, it doesn't really apply because we're still sticking to the morning. We'll be done before lunch. You can go watch the game if you want to, whatever. Um, so what I, I think is we will we'll stick with a morning routine, we people want to go to church and then have the rest of their day uh, ahead of them as they are looking forward to the work week um, on Monday morning. Uh, but no reason to start at nine. Uh, it's still the weekend, guys. Let's uh, let's do uh, nine thirty, maybe even ten. But let's stick with nine thirty because we won't have time for worship and then class. And that's important that we start with worship and then go to class because people are going to show up for worship and then you have more people actually there for class which if we're doing it hopefully we believe it's actually effective and there's a reason that people are going to it so we want people to be there and more people will be there after worship it's a no-brainer like seriously every eldership should be kicking themselves for not doing this that what's the number one reason why people don't go to class? Oh, we weren't ready in time. Well, if you weren't ready in time and worship was first, would you make a better effort to be ready? And then 
what reason could you possibly have not to stay for class? No one just walks yeah. out the door when, uh, I mean, some people do, but it's going to be way less people who are just like, all right, I know that class starts right now and I'm talking to you who's going to class, but I'm just going to leave. No one does that. Well, and if worship ended at like 1030, 1045, that's way too early to eat lunch. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they'll, they'll probably stay. So, um, what about for the rest of the week? I, uh, I'm kind of a fan of how my current congregation does it, which is Sunday nights are, um, you can do devos with like your, your class age group. Uh, I think once a month they have a praise night. So it's, uh, everyone comes together and it's a night dedicated to singing. Um, and then Wednesday nights is, uh, Bible classes. Uh, which I like because you get to see people from different generations just going to whatever class you're interested in. So you still get that rejuvenation, um, but it's not uh, another um, sermon or another, another Devo. Of course, it depends on congregation size. Um, and, sure. But yeah, if that's available to you, then I think that is uh, beneficial just to have things available for those that want to have a midweek recharge or just be involved. They want to be part of that community. That's why they became a part of the church anyway. Um, so let's go back to uh, the idea that church doesn't necessarily have to be in the morning. Um, but I think there are a few reasons why it is. One, that you're planning around meal times. Uh, you have to hit between breakfast and lunch. Or, um, and But not to say that we should just say, you know what, forget the NFL and their games. We're just going to put church in the afternoon. People can make a plan to have lunch before, dinner, after, whatever. It's possible, but there probably are a few more problems. But I want to point out something that Michael said. If we're willing to do a video of our baptism, why aren't we willing to just simply watch a video replay of a football game? And of course, this this whole discussion matters nothing to people that aren't a fan of sports. As long as no one spoils the ending of the game, that's the entire point of live sports: is you don't know what's going to happen. Well, what about um, baptism? Was he saved? Get all the way under? Did he get him out? Um, so I, I will also say this, and I've said this on many podcasts previously. I'm a fan of the. Um, the multi-site and the multi-service congregations where you can pick which service you go to. I think that's an efficient use of your buildings on Sundays. The reason why people want to go in the morning is because the way you start your day is what motivates it. It shows that it's a priority for you, but I also like, you know, kind of the, the multi um, service. Um, we should have three or four services. I'm not against that. And which would probably lead to fewer congregations to do that. Well, I do want to throw in here, um, just because uh, I don't want my name associated with Michael's horrible ideas, that uh, I, I'm not a fan of multiple services. Um, I've, I've heard it said by those in ministry that the, the fear is that it will um, be detrimental to the unity of the congregation. Um, that said, Michael is probably a much more better logistical thinker than I am. So maybe, maybe there are some uh, pros. Having more than 150 people in your congregation is detrimental to unity. So. Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. 
I, my initial thought is that it was divisive, but uh, if 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 it's the same one throughout, then sure. But if it's different levels of uh, liberality in your congregation, then yes, it's clearly divisive. Now, here's a little bonus one that I'll throw in. What? It, I'm I'm not for differences and as you said, differences in liberality. Uh, but in some ways, if a congregation can pull that off, I mean, it shows a certain level of unity there. I'm not not in favor of it, but that I think that it points the other direction. Okay, so let's go ahead and go to our final thoughts. What's the one thing that our listeners need to hold on to after this podcast? Stephen, get us started. So the last one that I'll throw in is something that I think that doesn't need to be blown into an extreme, but something that could be considered is the fact that we form ministries around certain concepts or ideas to draw people in, but they could possibly be something that is harmful. And the one example that I will give is, uh, framing all sorts of ministries around coffee. The idea of coffee, meeting together to have coffee, having coffee provided before church. You can step out of worship and get yourself a coffee, uh, go into the bathroom, here, have a coffee. You know, it's everywhere. And so what are we trying to say that uh, coffee and God are inseparable? We see it all the time on Instagram or Facebook, social media. People posting pictures, oh, they're having a relaxing time with God and drinking a coffee, hashtag blessed, whatever it might be. Um, what is the actual message that's going on with that? And it's not just coffee. It could be several different things that donuts, we, uh, uh, donuts for youth group kids. Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, I'm yeah. just thinking about kids that go to classes that have donuts and like, here, have a donut. Anyway, <laughs> now what are we using to lure people in to worship God and uh, just framing a ministry around something where it takes the focus off of God, but it's uh, uh, just uh, you're, you're dangling the, the carrot in front of the horse to get it to do what you want it to do. So isn't that like, so this goes back to the old Willow Creek idea of the seeker sensitive church that you're doing things to draw people in. Um, if coffee draws someone in and they get to know God better, what's wrong with that? Um, that is a good point. I, I stand defeated. <laughs> uh, well, I would add the uh, sort of um, extending Stephen's thought is that Christians don't have a great sense of uh, ethics when it comes to food. Um, and really, and that's maybe even an extension of understanding how Christian ethics should affect very small parts of our um, regular life. And so like sugar, um, and, and caffeine was the Stephen is the one that Stephen was pointing out. And all of this applies to caffeine. Sugar is one that I think of pretty frequently that Christians are called to be healthy um, and to care about their addictions to sugar, even though a sugar addiction is clearly not as, um, detrimental as maybe a, a, a drug addiction, obviously. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it's an addiction. And uh, with all of the, the negative, um, the negative definition of addiction, there's something bad about needing this sugar. 
um, and caffeine as well. And trying to incorporate that into our Christian ethics, I think is important. Is so all right if I... I was just gonna say, so my Bible class, uh, crack in Christ is not a good idea. Uh, if you get enough people baptized with it, it's all right. Um, I heard there was I'll, some... Yeah. I'll go ahead and give my final thought so we can move away from Stephen's ridiculous uh, yeah. ideas. Um, so, Michael, I think you actually segued into final thoughts by saying anything that our, our listeners should hold on to yeah. uh, as a part of this podcast about everything that we should discard about our tradition. Um, so I think that it's important to bring up in this discussion because there are certainly some people who are listening to this who, who saw the title of this podcast and thought, oh, I got ideas for it. And if they thought of um, any of these three things, uh, getting rid of acapella worship, um, getting rid of this staunch uh, autonomy of congregations of not um, uh, having staunch autonomy. Yes, isn't that like an oxymoron? <laughs> no, that is that is a concept worth uh, fighting for. Write a paper on um, that. And uh, our weekly communion. Um, those things and. I don't mean to be flippant, but I think this is the best way of describing it. Those things are part of the Church of Christ brand. Um, if you want to get rid of those things, go to a different denomination. You are, you are free to leave. Um, this is part of what makes our, our fellowship um, what it is. And so uh, those, are not really, those aren't really on the table. There are other things that, and we even mentioned it, that I would argue for things like um, an increased women's role in the church. I would say does not defeat the identity of this fellowship. Obviously some might disagree and that's a discussion for a different podcast. Um, but I think wrestling with those ideas of what is this fellowship and what is expendable is worth having. Michael, um, close us out or tell me I'm wrong either way. Uh, well, I do think you're, wrong on that last point but have we i'm not sure if we've done a podcast on that maybe we should anyway if we haven't uh, we'll, we'll come back to it um the the trend that i think needs to go is people who have podcasts who think they know everything that's that's my trend that thinks okay so in all seriousness um you know we had we had a lot of fun tonight but one thing that's serious is that you know, uh, we should feel free to disagree about these things. Um, we shouldn't get offended when someone says that they like something that's a little different than the way we like it. And we should not live our lives seeking to be offended, looking for the next thing to be angry about. Um, because church is so close to us. It, it is, I've, I've even heard one person say, the church is my mother. You know, that, that, that is how close we feel the relationship between ourselves and either our congregation or our fellowship or, you know, the larger Christianity. Um, we should not uh, feel so attached that we are offended by other people disagreeing with us. Uh, maybe we should uh, feel that we are led to engage with that person in conversation to say whether or not the thing actually matters and um, a lot of the things that we talked about tonight, there are good reasons why we do it the way we do it, but we were just bringing other ideas up. 
So hopefully out of the, I don't know, 10 ideas that we put forward tonight, maybe one of them is something that you uh, think is beyond silly. Eight of them are kind of wishy-washy for you. But if one of them is important to you, have a conversation with someone about it. Talk about it. And uh, these things that we want to see change, they don't have to be this way forever. So always the opportunity to change guys any any last words responding to any of that okay all right well thank you to our listeners for making it this far with us uh we only have two episodes left in this season uh we appreciate uh you listening to the podcast uh subscribe to the podcast like us on itunes leave a comment we always want to hear more feedback thanks talk to you next week